Hey there, garden friends. Do you find it difficult to implement every single one of the gardening tips you've heard about on this podcast? Well, so do we. It's easy to talk the talk when we discuss best practices for successful gardening, but it's a whole other thing to walk the walk, especially when life gets in the way and the garden heats up in summer. By now, I'm sure you're wondering what we've been up to in our gardens for the past six months, and we are ready to dish all about it. We're sharing which gardening strategies we stuck with this past season. We'll follow up on a few of our past episodes to keep you all up to date, and we'll share our plan to keep our gardens thriving through summer's heat. Our harvests are also coming in as planned, and we can't wait to tell you all about the tasty produce we've grown. This is Homestead Gardening, a modern approach with your hosts, Kristen and Spencer, where we garden alongside Mother Nature, sprinkle in a touch of modern science, and put up the abundance. Kristen's Trial Garden is located in Houston, Texas. In addition to general horticulture knowledge, Kristen's decade of experience growing in the Gulf Coast will provide additional insight into navigating this climate. Spencer is growing her family's produce in California's Central Valley. She uses her one-acre urban homestead to help others bless their tables with homegrown, homemade food. So, Kristen, it's been a while since we've talked. What have you been up to in the garden? Okay, so audience, we are filming this just a couple weeks before it's going to air. And this is, you know, it's been um, six months of the year so far. We finished, you know, wrapping up June. So my garden has gone through winter, spring, and is into the hottest part of summer. We've already kind of hit that heat wave. Um, so I've I've gone through a lot of seasons. I've gone through a lot of harvests during this time. And um, my freezer is full. That's good. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it, you know, there's some meat in there too, but it, I had this giant deep freeze and it is packed full. And my husband's been asking what I have what I plan to do with what's still coming out of the garden. And why I don't do have an answer. <laughs> I don't like, have an why, answer. Why do they always ask that? <laughs> because sometimes I don't have an answer and things sit on the counter a little too long. Oh, past guilty. Ex- past totally, experience. Yeah. Totally guilty. Yeah. So, so for the past six months, what my garden has looked like is just absolutely gorgeous. Just packed all the strategies that we'll talk about in a minute that I've used has kept everything green and healthy. It's prevented me from using um, mulch to cover the ground because the plants are doing it for me. I've That's had awesome. a lot of successes and fewer, you know, errors and mistakes and mishaps. Um, I've worked a lot better with the weather more than ever before to make my life easier. And my kitchen has been insane. Um, I've been a little smarter about processing food, uh, been a little bit more efficient on that end. and. But, but to the, at the end of the day, like this, we had this giant, um, surface to prep in our kitchen and it's been filled. Um, it's, it's maybe cleaned up once a week and then immediately there's another harvest coming in. And just, I love that. that. Yeah. I, it's crazy. It. It's awesome, but it's crazy. I've been that's using awesome. my piano as a place to let my <laughs> seeds dry. Like, the, like every surface has a little something on it. And I think my husband's like tapped out a little bit. It's been great. Um, so, so give me a little, little, uh, sneak peek at your garden for the past six months. So we 
our heat wave literally starts today. Like as we're recording, this is the first day that we're like above 105. So this is like my first taste of summer. And we'll, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I did the garden expansion this year and converted to no-till, completely redid everything. And it is, it's been probably what, like three or four months since I did that. And it is just starting to look good. Like I'm yeah. just like, it's, it's been a struggle to not, like I'm looking out the window as my garden being like, oh yeah, this looks good. But it did not look good <laughs> for a long time. So I feel like I'm just starting to dip in to the boom, but it's exciting. It's coming and I like it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and it's so weird. I'm just going to mention you're supposed to be in a warmer climate zone, but I think Houston is just so weird. Well, that- and I think we're weird too. Yeah. Like we, what I feel, I feel like my harvest should come, um, after you for summer, but they come yeah. before, you know, so, it's sort of strange. So you're on the border of eight B nine, a right. Correct. Yes. And I'm on the border of nine, a nine B, but I think the big difference for us between our zones, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately is that we are more mild tempered or mm-hmm. consistent to consistent. where like we have winters that are more like zone 10, but we have springs that are more like zone eight. So Mm -hmm. that kind of buffs out. It's just a definitely like we have a farming microclimate sweet spot, which is why we have so much commercial ag here. But I think that's why, because like your humidity and your heat waves and your thunderstorms and tornadoes, like we're no, you're impervious. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that is the, the biggest thing. And so sometimes when I follow you or other people from California in completely different areas, mm-hmm. I ask some questions and then I realize the answer. It's not the answer I get, but the answer that I take away is your climate's just different. It's yes. not even about your zone. There's really nothing I yes. can learn. Like, unless I live there, I can't really do what you're doing, but there's a lot I can take away. Other things I can take away, not timing yeah. though, which is really interesting. No, so, yeah, not timing. I yeah. will say though, and I love that, like watching other people in zone nine, because I think like next year, I'm going to try to start seeds more on your timing. And then I will say with the flooding and the really weird weather that California had this year, my garden's probably about a month behind schedule. Yeah. So I even like berry harvests, things like that. I we're we're about a month behind. I guess that's probably the best way to okay. adjust, which would probably put us a little closer, but still like we have big differences in our climates trying to grow yeah. in similar zones, quote unquote. And I think I've talked about this before. The way that I've tried to navigate our strange weather, because each year's a little bit different is to have different varieties of perennial crops so that if the timing's a little bit off, I might still get something um, at the time I expect or when it's convenient for me. But yeah, it's been, it's been a great six months. The weather, the weather has been a little bit strange, but at the same time, um, no more than usual. Usual yeah, strange. it's always all <laughs> I complain about the weather and my husband's like, you complain about this every year. You just have short-term memory loss. Like this is normal. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'm curious, were there, I know we tried a lot of products this year. Yeah. Were there any specific ones, um, that you would find you found particularly helpful and you'd probably use again just off the top of your head? Uh, the soil blocking stuff is all staying, but I was committed to that long before. (laughs) Um, 
but let's see the, the broad fork I'm starting to test out. I really like that with the no-till and like how it fits in between the drip lines and stuff, which is very much more of a, a flower farmer market garden approach, but that's my style. So it's working. Um, I have huge grow bags from bootstrap farmer that are doing really well. I was really impressed with how they drained the water with all the rain we had. Um, I think that's about it. What about you? Um, well, I'll talk about, I'll expand upon this in the follow-up portion. Um, but I did buy those bionic gloves. So I'll talk all about the different types and and how they benefited me. Um, and then I put an irrigation for the first time and put in the tubing. So I'll talk about that, um, kind of as an expansion with the follow-up that's been super, super helpful for me. The products I doubled down on, um, buying pre-made fertilizers, um, Mm -hmm. still organic, but instead of going so far to one extreme where I'm mixing and blending my own fertilizer, you know, I bought the pre-packaged and there were a lot of benefits to that. Mainly humates, humates, everything that's related to like microbial support has been so beneficial for me. And I've seen a lot of uh, advantages spending money and investing in that. So you're totally reminding me down, that I need to do that right now. <laughs> yeah. Just doubling like, down on my soil health, especially moving into this heat. Um, I need to reapply again, something because it's, everything's drying out pretty quickly, but anyways, we'll get into that in a minute. (laughs) So what are some of the strategies that we've talked about on this podcast that you did use and that you'll definitely use again? So I don't think our Bokashi episode has aired yet, but it will have aired by the time this, okay, that is, you know it's what? Coming. You're right. It will air before this one. This one. Yes. Okay. So we're going to update you on Bakashi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was such a fun episode to record. And I pretty much just picked Kristen's brain. If you haven't listened to it, um, uh, giving me all the details about how to get started with Bokashi. And I did. And as much as I have forgotten it and neglected it, it's like awesome <laughs> because it thrives in that kind of environment. Um, I put the finished Bokashi into a, it's like a, a cattle trough is what it is. Um, that I have plants in and topped it with soil and then planted. And this planter gets morning shade and afternoon sun, which in our climate is usually a recipe for disaster. Uh, and it is doing phenomenal. This planter has never looked that good. It just has cheap summer annuals in it but I haven't watered that. I've probably watered it like once every two weeks and just like yeah. a water can, not even like some fancy <laughs> deep water and it is doing phenomenal. So I am completely sold and can't wait to like slowly integrate that into my soil, like in ground soil, because I think that will really make a difference. I'm so excited about that. I was worried that you'd get knocked off the Bokashi bandwagon. No. I'm on it. Like totally awesome. Even I did have mishaps, but we I was like, do. yeah, I'll just plant it anyway. <laughs> like whatever. I wasn't going to throw it. Like, I'm just going to go for it, you know, but it's, it's good. I like it. I'll follow up on Bokashi as well in a minute, but, um, I had to pause on Bokashi, um, because there was so much going on in my life the past couple of months. I just had to take a, like several things away. Um, but I'm going to get back into it and I'm going to, I assume 
there's going to be another discount coming out with the July 4th holiday coming up since we're uh, recording right before this uh, holiday. And I'm expecting a discount in addition to what I get as an affiliate. So I'm going to buy the home counter um, two pack. I like it. That's what I have. And I think it's I'm going to go ahead and invest in that. Um, I did the DIY just because I wasn't sure. And now that I'm sure this is going to be a long-term thing for me, I want to keep it going um, in a little bit more contained and easy way for me to do that. So I'm excited. Um, The other strategy that I implemented that we can go into in more detail later is the trap cropping. I really did take that seriously, but I, I, instead of growing something that I wouldn't get a use out of, I chose trap crops that I also wanted to harvest from so that if they didn't get destroyed by insects and I was able to keep up, I got a benefit. And I really liked that. And that was a mental change for me. I have in the past planted things that I wasn't actually excited about and they had a different use. And I've made sure that my garden had multiple uses, that there was always Mm -hmm. a little bit of extra. And at the end of the day, if things worked out perfectly, there was a harvest. Um, so that was the biggest strategy and, and that's the broader part of that strategy is like the inner planting and companion planting that we've talked about that has been hands down the most successful strategy combo, if you will, visually, and then preventing insects from just wiping out crops, Yeah, just making them work for it. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And that's probably like the biggest thing in my garden too, that now I'm starting to see like the interplants have filled out and it is visually stunning, stunning. but it, it is like the, the encouraging the beneficial insects and pretty much everything we talk about on this podcast with the diversity and how that benefits your soil and your ecosystem and how it all works together. That is probably the most successful thing I've done this year. Um, so my mom's visiting and I took her around the garden last night, um, a little bit to prepare for this podcast too, just to remind myself and see something from a different perspective, hers in this case. And she was like climbing under the peach tree with like a little, uh, musketing grove. And I kind of cut out certain sections so I could get to b- berries, um, the groupings or the, uh, whatever the droops <laughs> earlier. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's like a little cave. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I like if I was a kid, I would be living here. I'm like, yeah. Oh, no. and, and they're just little moments where you, you could feel like you felt like a kid, you know, yeah. being backdropped by 20 foot tall sunflowers and, yes. you know, going under a bean arch. And like, I had her stomp through the mint so she could like have that sensory experience. And that's what I've been working towards for years is like sensory and, and like experiential. And I think that the inner planting gives way to that even more. Like you just feel so everything feels, um, bright and shiny and magical. Even if like some things are dying and some things are struggling, you don't see it, the individual pieces you see like this whole, uh, beauty, which is great. Totally. Um, so do you want to talk trap crops right now? Or do you want to save that for later? That's like my passion. I want to save save it for a follow-up. I want, I want to hear first, did you cut yourself some slack on anything? Is there any of the strategies that we've talked about oh. this podcast that you were just like, you know what? I wished I could, but time didn't allow it. So yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> we know that the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, has a yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you're listening, you don't know, I have three kids under the age of five. So 
the amount of time people think I spend in my garden versus the amount of time I actually spend in my garden is drastically different. Um, so I put a lot of forework into these strategies like we're talking about. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. And so I always, always say that if you have room to grow weeds, you have room to grow more plants. And that is my weed management strategy. I just plant more of something else. Uh, with the amount of rain that we had and the last of the one-time tillage that I did, the weed situation is out of control. Uh, worse than I've ever had, ever experienced. So I kind of did a lot of backtracking, trying to identify a couple weed species and really like determine a plan of how I can not have to do this again, because I can't like to the point that they're choking out other seedlings. And I've never had that yeah. before. So there's a lot of slack going on in that. Area. Yeah. I, I hear you. You know, for me, I don't have kids, but I started grad school uh, in spring and that was fantastic. But at the same time, it was unrealistic for me to go out in the garden, sweat my tail off, and then mm -hmm. try to, you know, shower and get ready for virtual, you know, recordings. You know, I wanted to look my best for school. So I, there were several days where I just slacked off. I didn't want to be dehydrated or mentally, you know, I couldn't, right. couldn't do it all, which is fine. I started out really strong in March though, before this all started. And one of the things I ended up slacking on eventually was pest management. I had all the trap pops. I had everything figured out and I was like on top of it, but the pest didn't really come till it got really hot. And so by that time, that's just not a, a an easy thing to, to manage all of those. Right. But one, one thing I did um, early on what, what I was successful at, and then not anymore, um, was removing those um, squash vine borer eggs. And mm -hmm. so like I removed hundreds, like with, over a course of two days, I removed all of them from my garden. And that was early March when plants were small and it was kind of easy to do. Once the garden really started booming, it became harder and harder to find those eggs. There were right. more places for the um, squash vine borer to lay. And eventually I started finding, this was in the past month, I started finding eggs, not where you would expect. Instead of finding the squash and borer eggs on squash, I'd find them a couple feet over on a completely different plant that like, uh, like I've been finding them on my dill umbels. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So hunting for this bug became an impossible task. I wasn't just identifying my trap crops anymore. Once those trap crops kind of got used up for the season, this bug's laying wherever it feels like. And so I'm right. just finding them all over the place. And so now I know that I've lost that battle. There's no way it's going to take hours yeah. to actually go and hunt under every leaf on every stem and find this. So I'm letting myself, you know, slack. Yeah. yeah. And, and rightly so there's right, no way totally. I'm going to win and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and stop and everything will probably be okay. Yeah. That happens. I feel like for every pest, for everybody listening, everybody has that one bug and you eventually reach that point of the season where it's like the point of no return and it's fine. Like, yeah, <laughs> it might sting a little bit, but it's okay. We all, we all go through it. Right. Right. Okay. So I want to start following up on past episodes. Is there any, um, 
past episode that you want to jump right into? You want to start with those trap props since you're pretty excited. Yeah. Let's start about the trap props because I have, we like, that was a big episode for us. And there was a lot of things that I was trialing. Um, so I mentioned, we are just starting to get into our heat. So the first life cycle of the squash bugs, which is the biggest pest that I face has just happened. Like, I think last week I found the first life cycle and it was not on my trap crops. And I was a little ticked off because <laughs> it was on a new variety for me called Desi squash from Baker Creek. Okay. And it was right in the middle of my like squash patch where it's not like the, the bugs are not supposed to be there. I have orchestrated this beautiful plan that I have done many times before. <laughs> and I throw a new variety into the mix and yeah, it's, it, I was shocked to be honest, because I was not expecting that. Um, I, I won't grow it again. Like that's just a no-go now. Yeah. Um, no, I don't even think even as a trap crop, because I grow blue Hubbard because it can stand up to the pest pressure. And like you mentioned, still get harvest. So yeah. that'll not fly in my garden. And to be honest, I'm so irritated at it that I haven't even eaten it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, oh, no. I'm just irritated with you. You just can't. <laughs> um, so that was probably like the biggest, I don't know. I won't call it a fail because I caught the bugs and removed everything, but, uh, learning the disappointment, I guess. Though. Yes. Yeah. Disappointment. Because I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, here's this fun new variety, but no. Um, the other things that I was trialing for squash bugs was millet and mm. that one's still undetermined because we haven't had enough bug pressure for me to like rule that out. Um, I did learn that it does not transplant well. So if anything, I'll direct sow it and try it again, but that one's still, the jury's still out on that. Um, let's see. I was also trialing four o'clocks and geraniums for Japanese beetles. Um, and honestly, that was just a hard timing. So we don't actually have Japanese beetles, the invasive species. We have a native species, but the damage and treatment is everything is the same. So they bloomed, started blooming like a week and a half after the beetle pressure was gone. So I'm, I, that could be me starting the seeds a couple of weeks too late, or that could be, they're just not going to line up. Uh, but I'm not willing to rip them out. Like those are staying, they're going to keep going mm-hmm. to try again. So we'll see the jury is still kind of out on that one too. It'd be nice yeah. if something took the pressure off that I wasn't <laughs> attached to like my roses, yeah. but we'll see that that's really hard I, with a lot of the support crops. I it's almost like I had to prioritize them, um, so that I could have the most manipulation possible and make sure yeah. that they were ready to go. Um, it, it's so crazy because they're not your real priority, but they might mm-hmm. take the most of your most amount of your time. Yeah. If you haven't gotten the timing just right. So for me, <laughs> um, my trials included huckleberry to try to capture like the leaf footed bugs. Um, hopefully that's the right bug that I'm thinking of. It's the, it's the one that's going to attack my tomatoes and all that good stuff. Yeah. They Um, suck. Exactly. And, uh, they usually mess with my pecans. And so if I let that population get out of control, then by late fall, they've damaged my pecan crop and I don't get a crop at all. So, you know, keeping up with them is really important. Um, and then my other combo, the sorghum sunflower combo, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do a dense planting. They just didn't 
all germinate the right way. But I had quite a few. And what I learned, uh, the huckleberries, they are attracted to only at night for whatever reason they wait. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They only came around at night. So if I showed up in the morning or in the midday and tried to um, pick off bugs, I had to kind of like find where they were during the day and they moved around. So in the afternoon, they'd also attack the tomatoes. So I could find them either on the huckleberries or the tomatoes. So the huckleberries weren't like a perfect trap crop. They also gravitated toward the, the tomatoes, but I really liked the um, molasses and water mm-hmm. um, to like smack them into a cup of water and kind of shake it around. It worked better than soapy water. Um, it was a lot more effective. So I loved that once I, and you can still feed it to your chickens. Uh, Yeah. That's what I like. That's the only reason I hate using soap for that. I loved that. It killed them really quickly and it seemed to kill them even faster. If I let the sugar water sit out for a day in the heat and it started fermenting. I like that. Yeah. It really got them fast. Like they, they, they drowned a lot quicker. And so I didn't have any like, yeah, I didn't have any trying to climb up the walls or whatever. Um, and I used a blender bottle cup. So like a really deep, you know, tall wall because uh-huh. those bugs like to fly, like the adults will try to fly out. And so you can kind of like, you know, splash yeah. some water up on them a little easier. I liked that. Um, so that's been really successful, especially now in the heat, like the faster I can get them, the better. And then, um, I also learned that picking them off is a lot easier since the younger nymphs don't fly. They, they drop to the ground. That's like their defense mechanisms to drop. So I just mm-hmm. stick the cup under them and like tap on the top and they yep. all just drop in a whole bunch of them. Um, on the sorghum and sunflower, they have not really attacked the sorghum yet. And what I've realized is that they are only attacking those plants once the sunflowers are dead and like the heads are dry. They're trying mm-hmm. to attack those seeds and suck out whatever. So um, I'm finding them only on dead sunflowers or on like dying sunflowers, ones that are drying out. So, um, they blend in really easily. It's hard to see them, Yeah, but at least that that's originally, I was wondering like, why aren't I finding these? Why am I not finding these on the sunflowers? Like a couple months ago, it's because they were just too fresh. So that's good to know that I will only be able to use my trap crops at the times when the fruit is at its harvestable time frame. Yeah. I think that sorghum, if I remember right, was at the milky panicle stage. So you probably just have, that was the, the reasoning behind the layering of the sunflower and the sorghum is because when the one dies out, the sorghum is now coming into that period where they'll attack it. And then it sounds like with that huckleberry, you'll have a really good diverse pest management approach. I have a long, a long timeframe. Like I have a lot of seasons that I'm covering or months um, with those trap crops. So that's been great. The other thing though, um, I did not plant for, um, a trap crop for stink bugs. And I don't know if I just forgot or didn't care. Um, and so I had a massive problem. Um, and with those, I was finding them, uh, they did not touch any of my moshadas. So my most successful uh, plant has been, and has been for a couple of years, the uh, commercially it's called fairy tale pumpkin, but it's a uh, muscata province. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really good, yeah, really good. I love pumpkin. that one. It's so tasty, but the vine's super healthy and it's, it really has done well for me year after year, but the squash bugs or sorry, the, um, stink bugs don't bother that, but they will bother and gravitate around all of my melons and mm-hmm. anything that's a little bit more sensitive, you know, obviously going to be more sensitive. 
And I had to go on a squishing spree the other day. Um, I just put my glove on and just squished the crud out of every single one of these family members. And I'm talking, I, I think it took me 30 minutes. I think I killed at least a hundred of these oh bugs. They were, yeah, it was, the smell's horrible. But <laughs> 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 like, it just starts permeating everything. Yeah. But, um, but that's been actually more of my problem. So I need to figure out a strategy for them next year, but right now squishing works, you know, that's what I have. That's all I have in my arsenal. Yeah. Hey, that's a valid, <laughs> valid technique. It's very functional. It's yeah. a guarantee. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what about, let's talk irrigation for a second, because oh I, I think you and I are on different irrigation camps yeah. with our success right now. Yeah. You know, in our irrigation episode, I mentioned that I was using commercial products and it, those are rated for like sand loam clay soils based on Mm -hmm. the spacing, but your spacing really confused me. And it made me wonder about mine. Yours is so much closer. Yeah. So when I actually implemented my 18 by 18 grid, I assumed I had loamy soil based on my compost additions and everything. I don't, it's extremely well draining. And when it's hot out and things are a lot drier in that soil profile, it's even more challenging to water with a large grid spacing like that. Um, so it's, has not done very well. I have not had the full, what's called head to head coverage where the water covers all of the soil, like it's supposed to. Um, so my strategy has been, unfortunately to take the hose and water, um, as much as possible, not get the leaves, but water the soil surface for, you know, 30 seconds or whatever across a bed and then move across the entire profile of the soil. And this is a pretty, you know, big expansion of garden. So it takes quite some time and then turn on my irrigation and that will allow the moisture to like wick and pull mm-hmm. and spread across the entire surface and then seep through. But I can't do that every day, you know? Uh, so it's been, it's been a challenge and I don't have a resolution since that tubing's already in. Right. So it sounds like this technique that you just mentioned is similar to mimicking pulse irrigation, which we kind of touched on. I think when we filmed that irrigation episode, I had just gotten the pulse irrigation in and I hadn't really had time to like evaluate it. And oh my goodness, I have never seen something work so fast and be so successful as that pulse irrigation. So I have in my in-gram plot, it's divided into two sections. One, I was trialing the pulse irrigation and then the other has the same drip tape set up, but on a different timing system. So the pulse irrigation, which I will up this because we're just now getting into our heat. I think it waters four times a day for like four minutes or something like that. So it, it adds up to the same amount of timing that my other field is getting, which uh-huh. is probably like 15 minutes once a day. Um, with the compost that I tilled in, the compost wasn't finished perfectly. Like there, mm-hmm. it was still pretty, pretty chunky. It has decomposed so much faster. There's mushrooms growing everywhere, which is a sign of the fungal decomposition process. So that's a good sign. And it didn't stunt as bad as the other field, which is something that I probably failed and wasn't expecting 
that to be as big of an issue, but I can't. So I actually just ordered a new timer to convert the other side. Like, screw this. I'm not even messing with it. Everything is going pulse irrigation. They can, because it is that it has been that, that effective a game changer. Yeah. Mm, I like that. It's I'm wondering if, if we shouldn't have a more extensive episode on this because it, you know, just we probably with, should maybe another follow-up in a few months yeah. just to talk about, um, more, more of these details. I think that that'll be super helpful and it'll be helpful for me too. I'd love to learn mm-hmm. about that because we, we have a, um, digital timer, um, like Wi-Fi timer. So we're able to either manually turn off and on, even if we're not home and then set whatever program we want. And I'd be curious to see if I can find a way to use that, even though my grid is spaced a lot larger than yours. Yeah, probably. As long as you can set multiple run times on your yeah. timer, then mm-hmm. you can pull that's, that's all I'm doing. That's all, that's like, okay. that's all it is. Yeah. There's no fancy anything. It's just the timer. That's awesome. I like, yeah, that. I like, that. I, I, I will say it goes so much against like commercial farming and what we're traditionally taught, like and water deep deep, watering and yeah, that I was skeptical but the success of the people that I learned it from and now my success, I am fully sold, fully sold. Okay. So I want to hear more about your broad fork because we <laughs> mentioned that in a previous episode and I, and I'm waiting for my follow-up. I never got my photo, by the way, <laughs> I'm just going to, I mean, I didn't forget. <laughs> I, I do not own coveralls. So we're going to have to I, think of it. And I, equally, <laughs> I was at, I was at the resale shop the other day and I saw overall. So I'm like, Spencer did not send me her photo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to think of like an equally. Yeah. Maybe I'll get but, some coveralls. Oh, we'll but see. You know what I did do? I had my barley harvest. Uh, my niece was visiting and I took the barley and then stuck it in my mouth, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, like, like a farmer. farmer. Yeah. And she, like, she was in such a mood because it's hot out and she was being dragged to the garden and she wasn't in, into it. And so uh, she just burst out laughing. I was like, well, that's a nice change yeah. of attitude. She's only like five or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So everything is pretty filled in right now. But as we transition to fall, we'll get you a broad fork video. Okay. <laughs> a broad fork tutorial. So it's, I've never done it before. This is my first season with it. And we tilled in the compost and then it sat for so long and we had so much rain that I had to go back and re-broad fork everything because it got so compacted just to be able just to, to loosen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad I bought it. With that being said, the, okay. So the goal, I'm trying to backtrack and say this properly. The goal is to have such good soil. You don't need a broad fork. Right. But we have that in between time where it's going to take me years to get there. Mm-hmm. I do really like it. And I purposely set up all my irrigation that the tines would fit. So I don't have to remove irrigation. I can put the broad fork in you like, this is really hard to describe <laughs> over <laughs> audio, but you essentially like rock it back and forth with a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do it from the side. So I'm trying like not to walk in my actual garden bed and it just lifts up where the tines are and would like break apart clay or dirt clods kind of thing to give you a plantable surface. And then you can like drag it backwards to smooth it out kind of thing. Um, that doesn't really work with the irrigation in, but I did <laughs> right. before I laid the irrigation. 
so it, it has been a valuable tool just because we are so compacted here. Mm -hmm. That would be valuable in, in some of our main clay areas. If I wanted to, I, I use the chickens to scratch up some, uh, trap clock trap crop plots where I did not do any improvements. I didn't do, uh, I didn't spend any money. I just wanted to, uh, shove in some of those trap crops super quick. And I just used them to scratch the soil, but oh my gosh, was it compacted. So that would have been a really good, uh, tool, tool. if I want to have better germination. And that's why my germination on the sunflower sorghum patch was so spotty because the compaction was outrageous. Yeah. And those are tough little plants, but they, they had to fight a little bit more than they probably had to, uh, should have had to. So, yeah, that the Broadfoy thing kind of brings up the no, the no till conversion that I think if I would have, I should, I probably should have known. So my expertise obviously is in companion planting and trap plants and bug management, not in soil health. Like I just now being what, 11 or 12, I don't know, 11 years into gardening and getting into that and really trying to teach it to myself. I wish I would have known about the stunt, like, and I don't know if there's a technical term for that, but after we added all this compost and then went to no-till, everything was so stunted for months. That was either the chemical breakdown of the cover crop or the compost but it just didn't like, I expected to plant things and have them boom and thrive like I'm typically used to. And that was a hard pill to swallow for me that that didn't happen. Um, there are a couple, there are a couple things. So first of all, when we're talking about no-till and using the broad fork, I want to point out that in a situation like yours, where you're compacted, you're not going to have, if there's no air, if you don't have air, you're not going to have, um, you're not going to have the soil ecosystem that you want anyways. So like you have to right. get air into, into there and you can do that through the broad fork, or you can do that through, um, uh, puncturing holes, you know, whatever, still with the broad fork if you want to, or whatever. Um, so like I, I when it comes to no-till, it's like no-till is great when your soil is already loose and healthy and no-till will, right. uh, tilling will ruin the soil. That's already great. If your soil is not already great, it does not matter. Um, you which know, is where I'm at. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so just for you and for listeners and just a reminder to myself when I listen to this in a year, you know, that there's no problem with that. Um, yeah. when it comes to stunting from additions, this can happen because everything isn't broken down yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes there has to be like a certain amount of bed rest, which is why maybe you'll have success in a year from now and you, and you'll compare the two years and go, wow, this year, I didn't even do as much in, in this plot and it's doing so much more successfully. And it's very possible, especially when we buy compost, like it might look broken down, but we don't know. The plants know, we don't know. And so yeah. sometimes, you know, using older compost, if, if it hasn't gone bad on you, um, is more successful just because it sat around longer and whatever is going on in that that's still decomposing um, isn't creating a negative environment, I guess, for the plants. Um, yeah. I've heard different things. I mean, I really think it comes down to where you're getting your compost, how much, how old it really is. Cause if it's not aged enough, it's still generating maybe too much heat. There's all kinds of different little nuances, but right. I wouldn't feel bad about the stuff. I mean, I know it's disappointing, but don't feel bad because it happens to all of us and all of us have that newer bed that's just not performing as well as yeah. your older beds. 
yeah, it was definitely just something I wasn't expecting, I think. Yeah. I think that's why sometimes I've gravitated towards, um, gravitated towards two strategies that I, I don't think I talk about a ton, but I, the bed rotation is more about bed resting. And I think I phrase it wrong. I think I frame it as a bed rotation or crop rotation, but it's really letting a bed take a minute. Um, if I add compost and like I prep it, I let it take a second before I move on. Um, or maybe I don't even add the compost right away or something. I, I don't know. I, I need to think more about that and then maybe phrase it better. But I, I think that I have so much garden space so that I can not use it all at once. And I think right. I accidentally stumble into some success that I haven't been able to articulate yet. That makes sense though. I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work on that anyways. Um, okay. Can you tell me more about what I phrased as your planter on stilts? How did that, what so, was its life? I, what has its life been? I planted it out in winter. And this is a great example of literally the stunt that I was just talking about. So I filled it with quality raised bed soil, like the right stuff, right? It wasn't just any, any dirt, which is important if you're making a, a raised planter like this. And I added the compost and I, I like, don't even know how to articulate this. It has not moved. So I planted broccoli in late winter, that was a couple inch start that would have been my spring broccoli harvest that should have been a spring broccoli harvest. And they are the exact same size. They have not bolted, which I think is odd because it gets afternoon sun and it's supposed to be 110 today. Like how had they not moved? So my only thought is that this bed is not getting enough water the raised planter, I guess I should say not bed, is not getting enough water to decompose that soil like it has in the in-ground plot compared to the yeah. in-ground plot with the pulse irrigation, especially. And then it's not. So my solution, I think, is going to be to add Bokashi and start again. Yeah. And I think that's my my main hope. The the planter and stilts, which we said this in the episode, it's just a it's a vibe. It's a aesthetic. Yeah. And I get like, I have, I know friends on Instagram that have the same exact planter and they're in apartments or like balconies or they're older and they don't have the mobility and they love them. But my passion is just in ground, I think. And I don't think there's any way around that. I think that our lifestyles require in ground right now. I yeah, think that we're busy and I think we're, we took on a lot. We have huge yeah. gardens. I yeah, mean, we do. your poor planter and didn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah. Especially because I'm notorious for getting to water things. So if it's not on your station, it's not going to happen. Let's be honest. I, I haven't watered my citrus in weeks, which is unacceptable. Uh, they really should have water right now. And my, my mom's visiting. I already mentioned that. And she goes, is there anything I can do to help? Because I still have to work. I'm still working and, you know, doing things inside and it's so hot. You can only I do so water. much outside. <laughs> And I was like, uh, I have not cleaned up the citrus garden. It is potentially dangerous to walk through, <laughs> but if you're real careful, <laughs> if you want my boots, you know, so you don't like twist your ankle or something. Um, I really need those little suckers watered bad. And so she watered it, the citrus garden, rose garden are, are next to each other. So I was like, can you water anything you're willing? Because I think they <laughs> all are suffering need right it. now. Yeah. Um, 
So we mentioned biodynamics in that episode, which if you haven't listened to it, is the idea of planting by the moon science and the astrological uh, and how it affects the push and pull of the earth, blah, 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 right? <laughs> if you, <laughs> we can go back to that episode and listen to it if you want. <laughs> I still love, hate it. But since doing the research for that episode, I did even more of a deep dive into it and actually found people that practice it and are biodynamic, like certified farmers. And it's, I think it's really interesting. And like I said, I still have a love hate with the the planting calendar because I'm so busy. I need to get things done when I don't. And now I use it as a, as a cop out. Oh, it's not the right day. Well, let's be honest. That should have gotten planted three weeks ago and you're not getting it done because (laughs) you're going by this calendar. But what I thought was most interesting was they actually have biodynamic soil preparations Mm -hmm. and this whole method of amendments for their soil. And it's not amendments like we traditionally think of amendments. There are things that are like you put cow manure in a cow horn and bury it over winter. And then it turns into like this fine powder. And then you mix it in water going like counterclockwise and then breaking the vortex. And it's, it's this very interesting ritual almost, I would call it, yeah. but it's the science behind it. I almost fully understand because see, the idea is that you increase like the humus and the humates in your soil, mm-hmm. which when you have more hum- humus in your soil, you have less weed pressure, which in turn makes it sound like it would just keep feeding your soil life, which is ultimately going to give you a better crop. So I'm like, I get it. So I did, I tried that. We're going to have to do another update on that because I did try potentized cow horn manure <laughs> that I never thought I would ever buy, but I tried it and I have one more packet to try. That'll be interesting. Um, well, you know that humates for me is super important and it's right. hard to, they're expensive. Um, rabbit manure is the most common and those little pellets aren't going to, you know, go the distance in my garden. They're going to cost me an arm and a leg. Um, to get that much manure. Uh, but if there's a way to use cow manure or another manure more effectively, I'm very interested. Um, it, to me, it's the cost savings is very important. Otherwise it's not, you know, nothing's going to get done. Um, but effectiveness is, is just as important. I don't, my time is as important to me as my money. So right. <laughs> everything needs to work, you know, the, not just well, but as efficiently, the best, like, I only want to participate in the best options. So I'd love to hear more about that. Um, on the woo episode, we yeah. talked about the well, copper tools. That was really a fun episode. That was so fun. Um, but remember with all the, um, what was it? The grounding we had, uh-huh. uh, we chatted later, you and I about, um, somebody that I knew that had one of the copper spirals and oh, the, the electroculture. Okay, the electroculture in there, yes. in there, which is, you know, like a grounding, but for the garden and shoved into their soil and was showing me um, how much larger some of their plants grew next to this electroculture rod. Right. And I considered, and I ended up not doing it for time reasons. I considered using my, uh, the cattle panel that I pull straight up into the air. It's like eight foot tall. Um, I considered wrapping copper around, copper wire around that. And it was, it got too hot out. I didn't want to do it, but my husband has copper wire. So I'm going to do that this fall. Does um, it have to be around wood though? No, it doesn't. Oh, I thought it had to be around wood. Oh, I does thought it, it had to be. 
I thought so. Like it has to be around like a stick, like a tree branch. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So we'll have to rethink that, but I might still have to support the tree branch. (laughs) That's right. There you go. I accept that. Yeah. Um, But anyways, I'm going to use something. I'll figure it out. I actually have this one tree. We cut it down every winter. We cut down all the branches and it grows like giant branches over a six month period when it comes Mm -hmm. back. Um, But I use it just to shade the citrus in summer uh, to give it a little bit of relief. And then I cut it down in winter to give the citrus more light. So I'll steal the branches from that. They should be like 10 feet tall by then. Yeah. Um, that'll be perfect. And they're super flexible. So it should be super easy for me to use hopefully. But anyways, what I learned about that electroculture is you don't just have a copper wire. um, You have to wrap it. I want to say counterclockwise, but you have to wrap it a certain direction Mm -hmm. and then you have to shove it in the ground fairly deeply. It can't just be like touching ground. Um, So there's like a teeny bit more to it, but it's not that complicated. And unless you have lightning storms and potentially can get electrocuted, I assume that it's fairly safe (laughs) otherwise. Um, so it's definitely something I'm going to be trying in fall. It's also on my list of things that have not been important enough to get (laughs) done. It was probably very important. It was probably going to be super effective, but I just couldn't devote the time. It it would still be, I mean, to do enough of them because it, it's only going to affect so much of the soil that it's next to. Right. It would have been a quite, quite an undertaking just to get a couple beds done. Yeah. I think, and especially this time of year, I know I'm trying to get like succession plants and set like my second summer garden in the ground. And there's a lot of not just harvesting, but still planting and planning for the next season that's happening at this time of year. Yeah. That, that takes precedent over any, mm-hmm. anything I want to do. Let's be honest. Anything I want to do is not happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Um, so we're talking summer. We're talking about the heat coming. Let's talk about what we're doing up to the fall transition period. Mm-hmm. So for me right now, I am still planting pumpkins, winter squash, I'll do it. Anything that's going to get ravished, ravished by squash bugs, melons, cucumbers, summer squash, all that gets a second plant for me right now. Um, Mm And so I really have like almost two summer gardens. That's what I call it is my second summer garden. Those are all 50 to 60 day crops that are in that sweet spot. So when those are done, I could get a fall crop in the ground. So now I'm really starting to think about spatial requirements and where am I going to have room to plant Mm -hmm. to tell me what I need to prepare for kind of thing? I I'm also still replanting. So I've had a lot of crops and I've had some die out and that's totally fine. Um, and most of my inner planting has taken up the space. So zinnias, basil, um, the cilantro is already bolted and finished flowering and it's completely dried in the garden. Um, so like certain interplantings are coming out now, Mm -hmm. but as I've developed huge swatches of space, mainly those like final fall crops that never bolted, you know, are going to, you know, cut out or whatever. But now that some of the summer stuff's getting cut out and it's time for like the second summer, um, I'm planting directly under drip tube outlets. Mm -hmm. I do the same (laughs) thing. That's the only way it's going to germinate. Exactly. So I'm, I'm planting right under those with anything. Um, 
anything easy, like beans, anything that's going to cover the soil and protect that moisture right now. Um, I haven't even focused that much on replanting melons and squashes just because I just was making ends meet basically. Um, but we should have rain Sunday, uh, in a couple days. And if that happens and we get enough of it, then I will do a full replant, a full grid replant on whatever has not germinated from that um, attempt a couple weeks ago and really go for it. And the replant for me involves soaking it uh, indoors because it's so hot that the drip, the drip is still not going to get me where I need to be. So I do a full soak indoors for like eight hours of a lot of these seeds, plump them up a little bit, and then at least try to set them up for success. And then I usually plant late evening. So they get that. And then I water in the evening. Yeah, yeah. So they get that little extra boost uh, and can hopefully get themselves up on their own. Um, so that's my plan. I'm, I'm also in that replant zone. And then a lot of my harvests really have come in at this point. So the only thing left is trying to keep up, trying to pull a few things through and keep everything really hydrated. Yeah. So we are about to, like my tomatoes have fruit, but they haven't started to blush yet and peaches are about to hit. So yeah, we're, I said this in the beginning of this episode, we're about a month behind and that still is ringing true. And it's going to be interesting to see because at one point that's going to run out and I'm going to have to overlap fall. So that's going to be an interesting workaround this year. But have you started to like, think about what you're going to plant for fall? I have. And what I did last year was I started my fall transplants July 4th. Um, wow. which is coming up. And I thought, okay, if I can get these transplants in just as soon as possible, you know, as big and strong as possible, um, because we're so hot for so long and our winters are sketchy, I maybe can get a crop, an actual broccoli crop or something like that. Um, early I've seen other people do it in Texas. And I thought my problem is timing. If I just get there early to the game, that'll work out. That was not true last year. The heat just stunted those plants. Um, it didn't matter how big I got them in. They just would not budge. They were not, even if they were acclimated, it didn't matter. There was just something not working. And so it was only the broccoli that I planted or all the fall crops that I planted January 1st that tried to do something. Um, so that was very confusing to me. I think what I will do is look for some varieties that produce faster Mm -hmm. For the winter crops, I think whatever I have in my arsenal is taking too long and they're just not getting where they need to be fast enough. So I think I need to find some early varieties. Um, I'm going to attempt my fall planting probably in September, late, late September. um, And I'm going to have to time it to the weather. So not a hundred percent sure. I've never really had a good fall crop. I usually have my summer move all the way through November and I still am harvesting in November. And then we get our first freeze and then December is just a dud. And I've mm-hmm. always had just a dud month and that might continue to happen. Um, I'm not sure. We're I'm not sure. Very similar to that. Yeah. And yeah, then that's I can very get things similar. kind of started back up January 1st, if we don't have a late freeze and, you know, try to get things pulled through, but I may focus on, um, cover crops and green crops. Um, I think I'm going to focus on root vegetables and maybe give myself 100% time off from 
the cruciferous vegetables, which have given me such a headache and I, and I spend too much time and effort on, um, because my turnips, for example, they're still going strong. They're, I mean, they're super bitter because of the heat, but they are still providing a cover and they've been out there for over six months. I'm, I've been, I've been impressed by a lot of my root vegetables and I think I need to give them more opportunity next year. Yeah. So it's interesting that we talked about how our zones were different in the beginning of this episode. And that's an area where we're really similar. So I find more success with root vegetables in as a fall plant. And then the broccoli, cauliflower, cold crops is more of like a winter plant. And I think, I think that that's where I need what's to working. Yes. I think I need yeah. to be thinking along, along the same lines. I think I need to switch my cruciferous planting. If I want to invest in that this year to maybe a late November planting instead. Mm-hmm. And then um, focus on those root crops, which surprisingly seem to handle the heat more than I've ever given them credit for. I don't think I've given them that the is credit true. they deserve. Yeah. I still have carrots out there right now. And I'm like, what? I do the- too. <laughs> I do too. They taste terrible, but yeah, they're still out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm glad you brought up cover crops too, because I think that's my goal for this fall is to focus on soil use my raised beds for food production and just focus that in ground on building that soil. And I really yeah. want to under, under crop my cover crops as like a fall, September, probably ish direct. So under everything that's out there and then let them be shaded to get us through. Cause September here is still very hot. Even October can be hot. Um, so I think that will help get the cover crop started, give me better germination and really make that my main transition to fall focus. Yeah. I think that'll be good. Um, when we, when we do our fall transition, I'm not as worried about the space as you are, but I think that my key to success, I mean, obviously direct sowing, um, direct sowing all of those root vegetables, but I think my key to success will be to start plants indoors. If there is anything by September that I want to stick back in. I think mm-hmm. indoor indoor starts is the only way I'm going to make that work to fit yeah. it in with all the vines because what's happening with my garden what will happen is that the gourds will inevitably take over mm-hmm. uh most of the ground. You know, they're going to shade out, out the ground quite a bit and nothing's going to get past those <laughs> until they're yeah. done for the season. So, it'll be yeah. interesting. All right, I want to hear about your harvest success success. Okay. like as a, as a wrap up to this episode, I, I have loved my harvest, um, the past six months, but it surprised me just because every year is different. I don't yeah. always get a choice on what comes out of the garden. That is true. The harvest that surprised me the most was the root vegetables and how late into spring they were actually successful, which is solely determined on our weather this year, extra rain, a very mild spring, so that was cool because I don't normally get to ravel in that glory. (laughs) Um, so that was a big harvest for me. The tomatoes based on what I can see is going to be a big harvest. I might have done something borderline crazy, stupid, (laughs) but I think I ended up with like 70 or 80 plants out there. (laughs) And now I'm like seeing all my Texas and like South Carolina friends canning. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, what did I do? Uh, so that's, that's going to be the big one. (laughs) That's going to be the big one. That'll be fun. That'll be super fun. We had, um, 
a great crop of peaches come out. I have not let my little peach trees um, fruit yet, and they are several years old. And so I've just not let them. I also haven't taken care of them. So I didn't feel like it was appropriate to let them in the past. And I finally did a really great pruning last year. I skipped this year, again, time reasons, but I did such a good pruning last year and they were ready to go. Um, so between the pruning strategies, just finally taking care of them and everything coming, uh, the you know, water timing with natural rainfall, finally being on a schedule that worked for them, uh, not having a late freeze, all of that had to come together for the perfect right. peach crop. And when my brother visited uh, while they were ripening on the tree, I had his family try them fresh out of the garden. It was oh, there's nothing better. There's nothing Hot better. peaches is the way to go. I don't know why anybody puts them in the fridge. He was eating those off the tree. And he didn't expect a lot from it. He was like, oh, they're real small. And I'm like, you just wait. You won't need more than a couple bites and you'll be satisfied. And he was like, oh my gosh, I have never had anything. No, um, that is like the best. I talk about peaches all the time as like a morale thing on the homestead. Like if nothing else, they like to me, fruit trees are a morale booster. All of the, so what I did since everything all the fruit out of the garden comes during the hot season, except for persimmons and some lemons. And so, um, it was like, a, it was like a treat for me. I work my tail mm -hmm. off. I go out to, you know, look for peaches and the ones I would eat out of the garden, the ones that already fell on the ground, like the ones that mm -hmm. I wouldn't bring inside. And I'm like, ah, that looks like an okay side. I'll take a <laughs> bite. And, it, and the same with the berries, you know, I would just like my hands would be dirty from getting chicken eggs. And so I just like, move the vine up to my face and like take a bite and move on <laughs> you know it's just so rewarding when they're just yeah. hot and fresh out of the garden like that and just super juicy but I had never had a really well-ripened white flesh peach before. oh those are my favorite the flavor I have I mean I can't I can't describe it but it's it's tough it's like so floral and sweet those there's are my this, absolute favorite yeah there's this incredible like rosy floral note that's in insane. Yeah. And, have you ever and, had a donut peach? I've heard of them. Those are the, so if you like a white peach, a donut peach is like that on steroids in a oh smaller package. Oh my gosh. Our peaches are super tiny because we don't do any supplemental water. We don't do too, too much extra. So like they're so concentrated already, but after eating the white flesh, which ripened first, my husband and I were like turning our noses up at the yellow flesh. <laughs> like we were not impressed at all. It was disappointing to even have those trees. <laughs> That's funny. See, mine are about to hit. And what we have on our homestead is multi-graft fruit trees because okay. our orchard is such a small space. I really only have four or five fruit trees, but each branch produces a different variety. So I'm never overwhelmed with fruit at one time. The peaches are much smaller. So like, I think my apricots are probably the size of your peaches. And then the peaches that I have are like your fist or bigger, but there's wow. only 10. Yeah. So of one variety and then they successionally, right. And honestly, my kids eat all of the fruit off of our trees before I ever get to try one, <laughs> which is annoying and rewarding at the same time. But <laughs> that's what my, my nephew, my nephew was going over to the peach tree and just pulling them off. And I was like, yes. guys, y'all are guests here. And <laughs> like, as much as I love sharing, you've already had one. Stop it. <laughs> like that is for me. I would, this is like my reward. 
That's right. So for the first time this year, I got to eat a strawberry out of my garden for the first time. Oh my one, I got one strawberry and I honestly, I felt guilty for not, <laughs> not sharing <laughs> it to my kids. I did that with my berries. I had a second crop on my primo cane berries. And I told my husband, I was like, Hey, if you want to come out here, put on your boots and come out here to get some berries with me. And he's like, I don't feel like it. And I was like, then I don't feel like bringing them in for you. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, so I just want to finish with, um, my best favorite crops, the ones that will permanently replace anything else I've tried in years moving forward. And I want to tell you about the Blue Lake green bean. Have you had one of those? I think no. we got seeds in our seed swap, or at least I did. Oh, then maybe I have them out there. They are the fully right round now. bean and they're stringless and they're just like really long green beans. And then they do not produce seeds fast so they can hang out on the bush or the vine for a okay, while it, so it's a pole bean it, so I it said bush bean but mine kind of pulled a little bit so I'm not sure so I planted all the pole beans going up my corn and I would be behind you a little bit and planted those so they're they've wrapped the corn but I don't have produce yet if you if you have these beans they're phenomenal the taste is fantastic fresh they're stringless which is I have several beans. I get them mixed up, the ones that are for shelling. And so obviously those are pretty <laughs> stringy. Um, and then they are longstanding in the heat. Like they do not move to their seed production very quickly. Um, and then cooked, they're just, they're phenomenal. I'm pretty sure they're the, they're going to be very similar or the same type as what you'd find in the grocery store. Um, those just really delicious beans. But anyways, those are my favorite. I am no longer planting anything else unless it's a shelling bean um, for fresh eating or for cooking They from now on. So I've been trying to hoard those seeds. I mean, I can probably just buy a packet, but I've been hoarding those seeds as they come out of the garden. Um, and then my other favorite, I actually did like doing the huckleberries just because they are weird looking, like the plants were super weird. Um, mm -hmm. But you and I have already talked like the fruit isn't, it's not a fresh eating plant. Like I, I wouldn't devote as much space to those next time, but no, I'm going to rip them out. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might do them again. Yeah. As soon as I put, pick these berries this weekend, I'll rip them out. Um, the dill, the elephant dill for sure yes. is never leaving my garden. That yes. Is I completely agree with you on that one. So incredible. Um, if goji wasn't perennial, I'd rip that out, by the way. I feel so guilty saying that. So many people are like vying for goji, but I'd probably rip that out. Um, well, I'm glad you said that because now I'm not going to plant it. <laughs> I if the taste is just disgusting. It's like a little cruddy tomato taste. It's just horrible. <laughs> it, it has takes, to be that whole family of berry. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. They're all night. Yeah. They're all night. Anyways, um, I had a list and I took them off my notes and now I've sort of forgotten. Um, oh, the sugar drip sorghum. I'm definitely going to do every year. And then the giant sunflowers, which you're going to be able to do as well. Um, those yes, have been so fun there. And then the other, other thing, like it's not that special, but the zinnia seeds that you sent me, mm -hmm. there is something magical about those colors that they glow from within as they die. <laughs> like it's just a very cool fade out that, that happens. And I don't know, they're just absolutely stunning and they're giant and I love them. I'm going to definitely harvest seeds from those. And so like, I, I know to, I'm not yeah, talking about crops, but like th that for me, it's so important to have like a little bit of everything like grain, 
fresh eating everything just a little something. That's what Um, creates the magic to me is when you have a little bit of everything. So for me, it would be the elephant dill for sure. That is never leaving. Uh, Crimson clover. Yeah. That was new to me and that's never leaving. Um, What else? Everything is just starting to pop. So I feel like I really, really, really want my butterfly pea to be successful. And it's also not going like I want. Didn't flower at all. I think it's still there, but it never did anything. I don't think we have the right climate for those personally. Oh, see, and I thought we did. Okay. Interesting. Cause yeah. So I'm waiting on those sunflowers, uh, pro cut sunflowers. There you go. So pro cuts are a pollenless sunflower for like cut flowers. So they don't get oh. your countertop dirty and those will be, they don't feed the bees, but they will be a forever in my garden type of thing as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. They're gorgeous. And they have a really, really, really long base life. I like that. That's really awesome. Um, I'm overrun with sunflowers right now. Uh, <laughs> I didn't plant them. We had goats so many years ago and that's just, I haven't been able to get rid of the black oil sunflowers from those <laughs> from the goats. Yeah. And my husband, I, I usually mow them down and my husband this year, I said, oh man, I really tried to eradicate those black oils this year. And he goes, oh, I love them. I let them stay. And I go, oh, I see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> You're working against me. Her. anyways I'm sure I have a lot more that I love because I talk about my favorites all the time but I I really think I'll cycle out the gourds I'll cycle out the different melons and pumpkins and squashes um oh I did forget one patty pan squash as a fresh eating is yeah I love that is that one's going to be a forever and I can never harvest seeds because the timing on our spring rains is just wrong enough to rot the squash if I let it last that long. So I have to get myself another packet of those. But otherwise I've been able to harvest seeds and kind of keep my my plants at my garden, if that makes sense, like year after year and improve yeah. upon the quality. So I like that. Have you ever tried white scallop squash? Um, I've tried pineapple, which is a white, but it's a green white. Uh, I've heard really good things about one. the white and I haven't, been able, I haven't been able to grow those. I've tried, it just hasn't it's- worked out. It's a little tougher skin, but it's still a good flavor. And it's larger than like the little green patty pans, but it is incredibly pest resistant. Um, Then maybe that is the same kind I'm talking about because mine had zero pest pressure at all. Yeah. And they go so early. Yeah. 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 I wonder if it's the same one. I'm sure it is. Anyways. Well, today we talked about what we've been up to for the past six months, and we want to help you prepare for the next six months of gardening. In future episodes this summer, we will offer advice for long-term storage, aim to inspire you to continue supporting your local ecosystem as you move into fall, and offer advice on how to transition your summer garden into a fall garden so you can keep the garden producing. Make sure you are following this podcast to get reminders with new episodes coming out, and keep in touch with us daily by following us on Instagram. Hey y'all, Kristen here. I realized I did not follow up on a few things from this podcast after all. So what happens, you start to record and then you completely forget that you haven't checked all the boxes. So instead of giving this episode more time since it's already very lengthy, I'm going to follow up on a few last little things that I forgot about on Instagram. You'll be able to find those posts on the same date that this episode aired. 